Today's conversation is with Jim Dew. He's an advisor to the entrepreneur, CEO, and founder of Dew Wealth Management. Jim has close to 30 years experience in building virtual family offices for entrepreneurs. He is active and in the social community and has raised over $900,000 for children and charities in Arizona. That's his hometown. Um, Jim and his wife, Mimi, have a wealth management company that is um, not only very successful, but has helped so many people, con continues to help many people in the wealth management space. Um, our conversation was fascinating because we talk about uh, the wealth and health connection, right? The importance of having um, of knowing your money story. Um, that probably comes from when you were a child and is still affecting you in a way that is negatively perhaps affecting your health. So we talk about that and we talk about um, what are the different strategies to have a healthier relationship with money and to what are the type, types of things that we should focus on so that um, so that we are all wealthier and healthier and happier, which is the ultimate goal. So this is my conversation with Jim Dew on the association between wealth and health. Let's go. Welcome to the Dr. Geo podcast. I am your host, Dr. Geo, where it is my intention to help you with your prostate health and how to live better with age. Great pleasure to having my guy, Jim, Jim Dew, on the podcast. Jim, thanks so much, man, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Hey, Jim, I'm excited. I always love to spend time with you, and this is just another, another chance to do that. I know. If I would have known that this is considered spending time with each other, I would have done this a year ago. Uh, so I'm glad. So maybe you'll be on uh, three or four times a year. <laughs> <laughs> I, so we I, can spend some things much. in life than to be on your podcast. I guarantee you. That would be fun. Man, I appreciate it so much. <laughs> You know, Jim, we, we saw each other recently at a uh, health conference, and it's, it's fascinating to me, right? So this is the Consumer Health Summit, and it's fascinating to me that you are there, your wealth management uh, person, a um, couple of VCs there, and obviously some of them are looking to, well, what's the next best, best health thing to invest in? But man, they look at it really holistically. They look at um, venture capitalism in a holistic way, and certainly in a healthy way. Same with you. Um, so it, it, it's always been fascinating talking to you and people in the VC world on health and wealth, you know, the association with health and wealth. And um, this is far from my expertise. So far, is that even funny? Uh, right? Keep me in my little bubble of prostates and testosterone and that's all. But if I want to do a good job, right? So when I have a patient in my office, we they, they fill out a 20-page questionnaire, it's long, and I want to know their stressors. Mm -hmm. And I could tell you that a lot of time, um, you know, I have, you know, stressor with health, family, and, you know, money or wealth, and they circle finances quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Now, this is sometimes even people that I think they're wealthy, at least mm -hmm. financially, but they still circle financials or finance as a as a stressor. So let's unravel some of this, right? Sure. What's happening? So let's first start with how would you define wealth? And I know there's a difference between being rich and wealthy. Sure. So maybe you can go into that at first. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of wealth is very subjective, 
Yeah. And if you look at the average income of the average human being on the planet, you would know that you're extremely wealthy if you would compare it to that average. And what's uh, that average com- income? Oh, gosh, I don't know. But it's it's something like I, I, I'd hate to even venture a guess. I used to look at yeah. these numbers, but it is shockingly low. The average income of the average person on the planet is shockingly low. And if you're if you just have a job in America, you're going to be much higher than the average income in the world. Uh, but it's subjective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember a book I read a few years ago where they were talking to this lawyer who lived on Park Avenue, and he was making about three or four million dollars of personal income a year. And he was depressed because he felt like he was a failure because he was living next to people making 20, 30, 50 million dollars a year and were comparison creatures. You know, one so comparing yourself to the Joneses kind of exactly that. And that's a lot of the way people measure their wealth is who are their friends, who's their neighbor. You know, I've heard a happiness expert say one really simple hack is live in a neighborhood. We have the nicest house, which I know real estate agents say never do that. But where you have the nicest house, the nicest car, you make the most money and you will be happier and feel better about yourself. And it's weird that that's actually true. So sometimes Mm. you have to think about your friends and who you're around. But the most important thing is you have to be grounded in what's important to you Mm. and what matters to you. And too often you see this, especially because this is so obvious in young people like young athletes or young Mm. actors who make a ton of money when they're 20 years old and they blow up most of the time because mm-hmm. they really don't know who they are and what matters to them. And when it comes to money, there's the outward facing material things. And that's how we feel judged or accepted. Mm-hmm. And there's also the balance sheet and the stuff that maybe not very many people know about your cash flow, your financial position. Mm-hmm. And both of those things can impact how you feel about yourself and what kind of stress you feel, you know, when you're comparing to others. Cause often I get to meet entrepreneur business owners, which is who we work with, who financially undress in front of us. And we find out that there's a lot of very well-known, big-name entrepreneurs Mm. who surprisingly don't have nearly as much as you think. And then there's Mm. some very quiet, unassuming business owner entrepreneurs. They come in and they say, Jim, you're probably used to looking at people way wealthier than me. And I say, no, you're actually extremely wealthy in the entrepreneur business owner space because they're comparing to what they see on the outside. And when it comes to material things, kind of as a first step, you have to realize that you either own things or they own you. Mm. And often, if you're not really careful, things Mm. will start to own you because when you start making money and you do get some things that make you really feel good at the moment, whether you're a woman, you buy a a really nice purse or Mm. you're a guy, you buy a watch or you buy a car or what, you know, whatever your thing is. uh, And all of a sudden you have that rush of that feeling that, wow, I've made it, I'm successful, I can show the world. Mm. But over time, most people who get those things start to, that diminishes after a while. And I always say after a week or so, (laughs) right? Sometimes after a week, you know, I I remember, uh, I remember we had a client that sold his business and he bought a Lamborghini. Mm. And after a couple months, he got rid of it. Mm. And he had wanted this for years and years. And I said, what's up with that? And he said, well, wanting it was better than having it. Because when I had it, I had to, put it somewhere. I was told by the salesman, like, you don't want to drive this every day. He said, the maintenance, the insurance. He said, what in the heck am I doing? You know, I can always rent one for a day if I want to drive around in one. And he realized that was kind of an empty dream that he had thought about getting to. So, you know, those types of things generally are fun and exciting. And I think you have to build those in to your goals and stuff like that. But you also have to build in stuff that, that I would say is a compelling focus. So we study a lot of what billionaires do and they have Almost all of them have a compelling focus, something that pulls you forward, 
that's more powerful than than you that relates to money. Because if it's just stuff and lifestyle and showing off to your friends, then that is a really empty way to go. And you'll find out whether you're there or not. If you ever get there, you'll find out that that's not where the magic is. And that's yeah. not really where money creates fulfillment. Interestingly, I saw a video of a billionaire. Don't really know him, but they interviewed him. He's a billionaire. And they asked him, you know, how, how do you define success? What does success mean to you? And he says, he said something very simple, but very profound. He said, success to me is that the fact that my adult kids want to spend time with me. Hmm. And my favorite word in the world is dad. Hmm. The fact that my kids say dad and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it, it, you know, he, billionaire didn't say anything about what he has, what he owns, mostly talked about that. It was very profound uh, in a different way of looking at it. Jim, you you may or may not know this. I grew up in the South Bronx in the, like the ghetto, right? Mm. And in the ghetto is very interesting because you always want to show more. In fact, it is a lot the newest sneakers. I remember back in the day, um, um, you know, so everybody obviously loves the Air Force Ones and the Michael mm. Jordans, and all right, that's what's in. Yeah, and wow, that's been in for a while. But prior to that was the Ewings, like Patrick Ewing. Mm. So the Ewing, so everybody the Ewings, and they were like a hundred bucks, man, a hundred bucks. And you see all these kids wearing their Ewings. I grew up in the ghetto. Everybody's on welfare, and everybody with their Ewings, nice clothes, and always the appearance. Then I get a little older, have a car. Sometimes I have a car that look like you know not in great shape, but they have a good radio system. The system, the radio system in the car was actually more expensive than the car. And I knew these guys didn't even have a home to, to you know, they didn't even have a home. They were living in a room somewhere. So it's very interesting, the psychology of that, right? Like appearance, the importance of appearance. And obviously now we're, um, uh, we, you know, most of my audience, they're not that young uh, or they are young, young hearted, young, healthy, but, you know, they're somewhere middle age. Um, but still, even that I see that that affects older men. And still, they still in that thing of material and showing and, you know, um, in the world, uh, uh, in the Jewish world where they have bat mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs. Right. Always trying to outdo the other with their bar mitzvah. Um, yeah. And I've had these conversations with very interesting how that works. And clearly. Um, that doesn't equate to happiness, which then doesn't equate to health, which is ultimately what we're trying to. Our primary goal is to be healthier and happy, you know, and it's very hard to be happy without health. So what what are the current um, what are the current things you see with your clients and with regards to do you do you sometimes have you, as you advise them with their health or with their wealth? Do you have to say, look, do you are you sure you want that blah, blah, blah? or that extra thing, is it going to make it? Do you go through that type of conversation or is that something you don't touch? We do. And I find that when someone has a goal like that, I think denying yourself also, you know, I grew up in a family, my parents grew up in the great depression mm. and their middle name was frugal. Yeah. And I was trying to, I was trying to, I didn't know anyone. I grew up in a middle-class neighborhood, but no one had anything nice. Everyone drove Fords and Chevys and it was a safe neighborhood and we we're out mm. crazy hours on our bikes and stuff like that. Yeah. But I didn't know anyone who had anything nice. And then I wanted to make my dad proud. I went to public mm. schools and all that kind of stuff. So to make my dad proud, I tried to be as frugal as my dad, which I can tell you is impossible. Uh, my dad passed away a couple of years ago. He was uh, he was in World War II in the South Pacific in a combat wow. area, went to school on the GI Bill. So I was raised with that wow. kind of yeah. family yeah. Uh, and stories about the Great Depression and right. you know how poor my parents were growing up. 
Um, and so I thought it was an honorable thing to be poor. I heard all these stories about how they struggled and my grandpa lost two homes and had to work for the WPA digging ditches for the government for seven years in the 1930s. You know, all this stuff. That could mess yeah. you up. It's almost like a badge of honor to be poor. It's like, no, yeah. I actually don't want to be wealthy. Right. And I think, you know, I think I've gone through some of that where I grew up and everything. So the the, the conversation was always money doesn't grow in trees and you know yeah. uh, wh wh what do you mean you want that like we don't there's always what we don't have so you kind of grow up with that and you almost for a while think like maybe i don't deserve to make money maybe i don't right which then leads to health problems there's no question of, there's yeah. a link there that we're going to touch on in a little bit yeah no for sure and i was that exact kid is that i i thought it was an honorable thing to be poor and I'll just give you one quick story. You talked yeah. about sneakers or tennis shoes. Yeah. I wouldn't let my parents buy me new tennis shoes or sneakers when I was uh, in high school because I was trying to be as poor as I could. And my <laughs> my sneakers, the sides had split out. My socks were sticking out of the sides. And I'm sure kids at school thought I was, you know, destitute or something like that. And my dad loved it. But my mom was very angry about it. Right. Right. And she said she'd say to me two things. She'd say, number one, you're not poor. Your dad and I were poor, but you're not poor. And number two, it's not a good thing to be poor. And that really didn't hit me until years later, because when I went to college, I majored in math, I minored in physics, and I went to a counselor. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And the counselor mm. said, what do you want? I said, well, I don't care if I ever make any money. Can you imagine a kid saying that to a counselor? <laughs> I don't care if I ever make any money. Uh, I just want to make a difference. Because in my mind, I thought you can either choose to make money or you can choose to make a difference. And my parents didn't teach that or really exemplify that but that was the meaning in my mind like if you want to make if you want to make a lot of money you're not going to make a difference you're not going to be a good person you're not going to mm. because i never saw those material things and i always saw people who had those things which really weren't in our neighborhood you know if i was somewhere and i saw someone in a fancy car i looked down on those people mm. like they were greedy and they mm. were show-offs and you know all that kind of stuff and I realized through time because my, so anyway, they, the counselor said, you should be a school teacher. So I became a public school math teacher. I did that for five years. I love the kids. I didn't like the system. Mm -hmm. um, and then I switched to financial services 28 years ago to find something else involved numbers and, and made a difference and then decided, hey, we're business owner entrepreneurs. Let's work with entrepreneur business owners like us. And so that's what we set out to do. Later on, I I got to meet a family office group in, in New York of a billionaire family, learned what they did and said, hey, why, why don't we mimic that, create virtual family offices for entrepreneur business owners? So that's kind of the business that we're in. But the point is, as I started working with these other entrepreneur business owners, something struck me mm. is that the more money they made, the bigger the exit they had from their business, the more good they did in the world. Mm. And I saw these incredible things that were happening, charities being saved, children being saved groups being supported, you know, amazing things they did for their multi, you know, multi-generational wealth. And I realized I've had this story in my mind, which just isn't true. That is, if you make more money, you can actually do more good. Now you can be selfish. You can be greedy. There are people like that. But what I found is that money accentuates who you are. Mm. So the people who are generous, they may <laughs> make an extra million, two million, five million, They're even more generous. They do more good for the world. And so that struck me and that gave me permission yeah. Yeah. to say it's okay to make money. And then as far as material things, it's so funny. I tell that story sometimes from stage because I have this, like the, the one little thing I like, I like watches and I like sneakers. Yeah. So I have, you know, like Louis Vuittons that I'll wear. And it yeah. still strikes me when I put shoes on like that, how funny it is 
and how my dad, my dad would think I'm just stupid with my money to buy Louis Vuitton <laughs> sneakers, right? Um, but but here's how I balance it out in my mm-hmm. mind. And this is what I tell clients too. It's okay to want those things and set those goals, but you also have to have alongside that other things that have more meaning. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, Mimi and I say, okay, here's how much money we're saving and investing this year. And once we're beyond those goals, we can do stuff like set a goal that, you know, buy a fancy purse or shoes or a watch or, or whatever. In other words, we're feeding our present self, but we're also feeding our future self. And that's sure. where a lot of people make the mistake is they're just thinking about their present self. Think the young professional athletes, they yeah. think of their current self, their present self and all the things that they want materially. And I can tell you, most professional athletes at some time in their life, they look back because most of them end up broke and they say, I wish my, you know, my young self was worried as much about my future self as my present self. And so I say, it's okay to, to want a Lamborghini or a fancy ten- sure. sneakers, or, you know, whatever it is that gets you excited. And I think those things are healthy because my dad never ever bought himself anything nice. And I don't think that's good because um, he's so afraid of losing that he's always sure. just trying to protect. But is, is it intri- intrinsic motivation that we're, we should be after, not extrinsic, correct? So it's not what anybody else thinks, what people say. is like, I really want the Lamborghini. And when you step into that car and you look at it, my God, it brings some, a, a painting. Wow. Yeah. Like every time you look at that paint, it brings so much, so much pleasure. That's what you're looking for ultimately, yes? Yes. But also, I would say I've never met anyone who had a healthy relationship with money, who got material things like that who didn't also have something that wasn't about them mm. because giving to others is the most selfish act you can, you can do because when you give mm. to others and think about in your own life, anytime you've yeah. given to charity or you have yeah. volunteered somewhere or you've done something Amazing. for your kids or Amazing. a neighbor or any, any scenario where yeah. you're giving, yeah. you fill with this feeling you can't get when you just think about yourself. And if you're not feeding that part that part starts to die. And that's a huge part of all of us. All of us get power and and fulfillment from giving to others. So if you're not building that in and tying that somehow to your money, then you're going to miss out on a huge part of the reason you work hard to be successful. And we can, we can make the argument that if you're not giving, what effect is that having to your health. Now, this will never be a randomized trial, right, to look at these things. But I think one can make the assumption, I can, because this is the world I live in, where I can see guys that are, uh, you said, right, uh, that are healthy, wealthy, right? So they're wealthy financially, and they do such great things, and they're they're rewarded from it. And then they feel good. There's chemicals produced in the body that make you feel good, that are healthier, um, and so forth. Less cortisol. Cortisol goes up too high to you know, it weakens your immune system. So less less cortisol, more of the good hormones, immune system is stronger and those kinds of things. You know, you said something earlier that struck me. So money accentuates who you are. I always say that about testosterone, right? So if you're low, if, if you're, if you are a, an unkind person or an a-hole, and then you go on testosterone, you'll be more of an a-hole and more, more of an unkind person. But actually, if you're a good person and get on testosterone, if you need it and so forth. So those listening, I'm not saying you should get on it or anything like that. Maybe you should see see a, an expert. If you get on it and you're a kind person and a giver, you become more of a giver mm. and more of a nice person, actually, with testosterone, ironically. So so testosterone ex- accentuates who you are. Money does the same. 
fascinating. I, I agree. I think I think uh, Mark Cuban said that once. Uh, said, "Look, money it, it just exposes you. Uh, more money exposes who you are." Yeah, completely. And and just to tie it to the health thing, I'll just tell you something that, and actually at the Consumer Health Summit, I presented on this topic a couple of years ago, and that is there's a Stanford researcher called Robert Sapolsky. And That's Robert right. Sapolsky, I don't know if you know the story when he studied the baboons. He also That's wrote the great. Zebras Don't Get Ulcers book, I believe. Great, great book. So anyway, the, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was fascinated with this story about these baboons and he studied them for like 30 or 35 years because the reason he started studying them is because he noticed that there were certain baboons, male baboons who were getting early heart disease and, and really bad chronic disease. And so he went down there to study them. And he assumed when he first down, went down there that out in Africa where there's lions and hyenas and zebras and baboons, that it's a terrifying place to be. And what he learned after just going down there for months at a time is that it's usually very boring. It's very boring. Animals are just grazing around, hanging out with their own tribe, whatever. Uh, and then there's there's moments of terror, like when the lion attacks. There's moments of terror. But what he found with these baboons is the ones that were having these health problems, the reason they were the lower class males. And in a baboon, I think they're called tribes. The alpha males control everything. Mm-hmm. They get to have sex with the females, they get the best food, and they randomly jump the lower class males throughout the day and just beat them up, just randomly jumping them. So these lower class males are constantly in fear of getting attacked and they eat the crappy food and they don't get to have sex with the females and all this stuff. And so what he found out from studying these, these males for years and years is that what was causing the chronic disease was not the lion chasing them, the moment of terror, it was the constant chronic stress. And so, of course, when you relate that to human beings, when it comes to finances, that's one of these things where many people are constantly under the stress, like just money is on them, on them, on them. I'm afraid or I don't want to lose it or what do I do with it? Or uh, I owe my taxes or am I can I pay my bills or, you know, all those kinds of things that that weigh on people chronically. And when they do these surveys, Many surveys have finance or money as the number one uh, stressor. And if not, it's always top two or three. And when you look at one of the major stressors in life is divorce. And one of the top causes of divorce is usually finances and arguing over finances that usually one of the top, you know, two or three. So when you think about it, getting your act together when it comes to your money actually does directly relate to your long term health. Absolutely. I know Sapol- so Sapolsky, is, um, he, he studies uh, and studied um, the relationship of testosterone from a behavioral perspective, actually. Mm. And he's one of the uh, world experts in, in that regard, not so much from a health perspective directly, although it's connected, but behaviorally. Why do we act the way we do? And he through studying the baboons and and a great book. Uh, uh, I'll put it in the show show notes. Uh, thanks for reminding me. That's a great book. Great yeah. author. Um so I've noticed in when I have a patient, right, and they fill out these long questionnaires, and one of my questions is on stress, and it's like, so what are your major stressors? And there's health, there's um, uh, the family, there's finance, a few questions. A lot of them do circle finances, but I would guess uh, that many of them I would consider from whatever is my criteria that they actually are wealthy, but they still circle finances. Yeah. What do you think is happening there? 
A is I could be completely wrong. They're broke and and finances is a real issue. But my my other guess would be that they're not broke, that they have uh, a decent amount of money in the bank and investments and things, and they still circling finances. What's what's happening there, you think? Yeah, well, one thing I don't want to do is is be a, a therapist on this call, but this is really, this may sound woo, but this is really important. It's critically yeah. important that you know your money story and your history, just like you were talking about in the neighborhood you grew up in. I talked about some mm-hmm. of the stories about how I grew up. Mm-hmm. Really being in tune with that and how that impacts your money decisions and also how that impacts how you feel about money. So in my case, my dad would always say, this is America. It's hard to make money. So when you mm. make money, you got to you got to save it and protect it. And mm. Mimi, my wife, you know, Mimi, her dad sure. immigrated from Korea when she was five years old, brought the family over. And he used to say, this is America. It's easy to make money. So when you make money, you need to spend it and enjoy it. So think about those two. Money Poor dad, rich dad kind of scenario, right? Yeah, right. And so yeah. both <laughs> of those have benefits and both of those yeah. have costs if you're not right. uh, willing to check those. Because if you want to spend and enjoy it, that kind of makes it sound like uh, you have to show the world and you have to do fancy things and all that kind of stuff. And save and protect is like a fear of scarcity that you're going to run out and you're going to fail. And so understanding your money story is really important. And then also visualizing yourself as a child. Because a lot of what we think of with money comes from the way we experience things as a child. Mm. And, And I almost think, and, and I've done this myself. And this again, little Geo, little Geo, come here, buddy. Yeah, come and, here. And I let mean, me let me hug you. you exactly. Yeah. I mean, as <laughs> corny as that sounds, like, no, not actually, at all. Actually, there's science behind that. Actually, yeah, yeah. And and I I do it. I look at my little Jimmy. I look. I can picture myself. I can see myself from all the looking in the mirror and pictures when I was in you know elementary school and stuff like. I, I can. So I try to really visualize little Jimmy. And I try to say, you know, what was he thinking? What was he afraid of? What was he experiencing? What did he see from mom and dad? And then I try to say, hey, Jimmy, look at, look at where I am. I've got it. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, so understanding and kind of healing that part of your childhood, because we all have some sort of money trauma, whether yeah. it was mom and dad spent too much or they never spent money or, you know, they didn't teach me how to handle money. Uh, So that's one step that I think is really important for your listeners. The other thing is really kind of get in tune with your emotions and how you react to certain things. And then really what matters and what doesn't matter. Because if you make it where your lifestyle and your cars and the way you live and the way other people see you as part of your identity, then the fear of losing that can be incredibly challenging and difficult and can cause stress. And I think when you, and you know, this is a great example. When we started our business and I went to Mimi, this is 1999 and I was scared to death. And I said, what if we fail? Mm. And I was, I was right back to my dad. Like, here comes mm. the next, depre- the great depression. We're going to lose mm. everything. I'm going to be destitute. And she said, okay, well, let's, what's the worst that happens? We sell our home in Scottsdale. We move back to our little place in Gilbert. We had fun when we lived there and we just figured it out. It's not that big a deal. And that was a huge comfort to me. But it's really, I can't expect Mimi to solve my emotional issues with money. And I just have to know to myself, like, okay, the things that matter to me, no matter what happens with money, I'm not going to lose my wife as long as, long as I'm paying attention to the relationship. And <laughs> that's right. right. Because you have, I do have choices, right, about how I pay attention. And, and you know, and in your case, you're not going to lose your kids if you pay attention and spend time with your kids. Sure. You're not going to lose 
I mean, this is great. At the at the event we were at, someone spoke about his dad, who was an entrepreneur, and he said his dad was always so excited. He said, this is America. You can start a business and fail and go bankrupt, and they don't put you in jail. Like, what can you possibly <laughs> lose? Exactly. This is the greatest place, right? So you think, like, they're yeah. not going to put you in jail, and you're, you're not going to be destitute. And today, really, the security comes from your talents and skills and confidence that you can change and adapt because everything is constantly changing and adapting. And the thing that creates stress with human beings around money is uncertainty. Mm. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen with my job or my money or my investments, all those types of thoughts. And, and the truth is you're never going to have certainty. We're never going to have a, a situation where there's not wars going around, around, around the world. There's not things like inflation at times, or there's not problems with the economy at times. All these things are going to happen around the world. And that's why you shouldn't be watching the major news networks all day because you're going to make yourself depressed and that's fearful right. and everything else. And just getting in touch with, hey, you have to have certainty about the uncertainty. It's okay that we don't know what's going to happen. And no matter what happens, you're going to be okay. Because mm -hmm. of the things that matter, your relationships, you know, your self-image, how you feel about yourself, yeah. uh, you know, Health. Your, your integrity, you know, all those. Yeah, the, those things are, are what's going to matter. And the problem sometimes with money is people get focused and stressed about money and they forget and don't pay attention to things that matter. Because I always like to say, whether it's your money, your kids, your spouse, your friends, if you don't pay attention to something in your life, it drifts. That's and right. it never drifts in a positive direction. You ignore your kids for a long time. Yeah. That won't drift in a positive direction. You ignore your spouse. You ignore, ignore your, your health. health. You don't exercise. You don't you ignore the you know, sleep. So one of the reasons why this conversation is so important is because, right, I do see one question is stress. What stresses you the most? Oftentimes they circle finance and then sleep. What's your sleep? Poor. Finance poor. So oftentimes, not to oversimplify, but the um the 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 constant the constant thinking about things oftentimes money keeps a lot of people up at night and i mean sleep by now we know is one of the main pillars into you need good quality sleep not only a good amount of sleep good quality sleep these things keep people up at night and the uncertainties as you mentioned keep you know people up at night um so there is a there is a very synergistic effect between all these all these things are holistic uh, you know i always say you know people oh you're urologist well i'm not a urologist you know the 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 bottom half of the body is connected to the upper half of the body believe it or not it is <laughs> it is and there's another paradigm in medicine and so forth that i would love to get into and go get on that that soapbox but that's a story for a different day before we continue let's give a little love to today's sponsor you know, I always say no man wakes up in the morning and says, wow, I can't wait to get that prostate biopsy today. Right. <laughs> no man does. And the PSA test we know is not the greatest screening tool for prostate cancer. Well, now we have the ExoDX prostate test, which is the only risk assessment tool available as an at home collection kit. So patients can provide a specimen in the comfort and convenience of their home. The ExoDX prostate test has been included in the NCCN guidelines since 2019 for early detection of prostate cancer, and it's a simple, no digital rectal prostate exam required urine-based test for men over 40, or if there's a PSA, roughly in that gray zone between 2 and 10 nanograms per milliliter, 
to determine if you indeed need a prostate biopsy. So ask your urologist about the XODX prostate test. Bottom line is these things, if I'm not having a conversation with my patients, even five minutes of what's happening, oftentimes they come up with their own solutions. Oh, finance, so what's going on there? And they, I, I don't have, I don't know that I have the answers, but I'm just asking a question. And maybe I said, all right, well, this is how it affects your sleep. Let's get better sleep and all of it. And maybe when you get better sleep, more exercise, eat better and things like that, you wake up different frame of mind. Now you can handle your money better, right? And you can make better decisions with regards to that relationships and all those things. Tightly connected. All of it is tightly connected. Very much. And one thing that's important when you think about sleep is what are you feeding your mind and what are you thinking about? Because you don't want to gin yourself up right before you go to sleep and go and look at your bank accounts or your uh, bills or right. So it's you want to think about when you're feeding your mind those things and then how you're framing it up. Mm. And I know journaling has been a really helpful thing for me mm. about, you know, what's the worst that can happen? What really matters to me? Uh, would this change who I am or who loves me or who I love? And I can think in the past, most of it, and by the way, my dad worried his entire life. Mm. And yet the stuff he worried about virtually never came true. Sure. That he spent all the time worrying about Amazing. this stuff. And it's true. it's true of you and me too. If you go back and think of all the things that we've worried about Jeez. in the last 20 years and how many of those things actually came to fruition. And the ones that came to fruition that actually turned out good news because you learned something from that experience. And I'll just be honest that in, in 2005, when I thought I knew everything there was to know about wealth management and investing. I made a mistake that cost me and Mimi a million dollars. I made an investment that had I stopped and talked to a few other people and thought about it, I wouldn't have made that. I might've put a hundred thousand dollars in. So I lost a million dollars, which is a lot of money today, but think about how much that was in 2005. Mm. And I think back to that, when it happened, I was so devastated. And there were many times when Mimi had to say, honey, it's okay. Mm. All right. By the way, because my identity was like smart with money, right? And, and I did that. Yeah. But in retrospect, <laughs> that has saved me millions of yeah. dollars because I learned sure. so much about why I made that bad mistake. Now, I'm not saying you should make a million dollar mistake. It'd be better to make a thousand dollar mistake and learn from it. The tuition was too high. Uh, but I would say that <laughs> right. that in, in retrospect, I worried and stressed about that, not about we're never going to make it or we're going to be in destitute, but more there was some of that. But it was more my identity that here I'm supposed to be sm so smart with money. And I kept that a secret. Only Mimi knew. I didn't want anyone to know. Now I'm talking about it on podcast, but I was so embarrassed for myself mm. that I'm thinking you're a sham. You're a fake. You think mm. you're telling people, you know, all this stuff and you made this stupid mistake that Beating you should have made. Up. Beating right? yourself up. Yeah. Instead, had I been more in a healthier place, right? I would have sat down and said, okay, here's what happened. It's not good. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That was a stupid decision. Why did it happen? What am I going to do going forward? Do I still have a wife that loves me? Do I still have friends? Do I still yeah. have my integrity? Right. And, and that's, I think, a really important lesson is to think about things in that vein is to put things in context and not exaggerate and not make them because the mind will take over and we'll say, oh, this is the end. And you suck, Jim. Jimmy, you suck, Jimmy. <laughs> It'll exactly. take you right back to your, your your inner child and how you're not good enough. You know, Michael Fishman, a good friend of ours, a guy who runs the CHS, he said um, to me once, uh, he said, uh, and of course, I, I'm, 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 I'm very much into male, male psychology, female psychology to the extent that I have two amazing daughters. But in terms of what I do, 
uh, professionally is like m- more male stuff. And he said, Gio, uh, us guys, we're always looking, we're always looking to find how we're not good enough. You know, we're always looking to find wh- how we're not good enough. And it's true. Um, in my practice, so um, I deal a lot with prostate cancer. And I've seen maybe, I don't know, three, 4,000 patients with prostate cancer in my lifetime. There are three people out of, let's say, 4,000 or whatever that I know died from prostate cancer that were my patients. Mm. And I think of them way more than I think yeah. of all the others that I hope are doing better, hopefully, because they've met me or we've worked together. I think of them a lot. Yeah. And it's um and it could be a little debilitating at times to be at times to be honest. Um um and and you know it's but it's just such I tell the I tell these stats to any physician, any oncologist. Like, Geo, that's amazing. Only 3 and most of the others are actually living probably better than before their diagnosis. Yeah, but these 3 people were really important to me and So, you know, uh, we all are struggling with the same things. And I think even talking about it helps, right? Just even this conversation helps uh, quite a bit. It, it's the human condition and it's natural. It's a survival mechanism because if you're walking through the forest and you're more enamored with the flowers than the possible lion, mm. then you probably don't survive. Mm. So we have to be, and that's why they say like in a marriage, I think they say something like for every negative comment, you need something like six positive comments just to equalize. <laughs> There's some number, but it's a huge number. And I'm just yeah. like you. If you yeah. have 10 people tell you you're amazing and one person say, hey, you're not that great, then you, you ruminate over that one person. And oh I think my that God. we can't do away with that. But what we can do is structure our lives more to where, you know, we're we're keeping a gratitude journal. We're taking time to spend time and to reach out to people we love and who love us and connect with those people on a human level. It, it's okay to be vulnerable and go, Hey, I'm feeling really crappy about this one situation, uh, you know, and people who kind of build you up and make you feel better. Um, it's really important. The other thing, and I noticed this with myself and I would bet it's true with you and your listeners too. When I have an issue that's stressing me out, writing it down, handwriting it down, exactly what it is, what's going on, how I'm feeling. And then what action can I take? Because I find when I mm. take an action, I feel so much better, mm. whatever that action might be. And there's usually an action. Like when I lost a million dollars, what's my one action? I'm going to detail out what I did wrong and what I could have done to avoid that situation. Mm. And then I'm going to enlist someone else. And one thing that I created through that experience was this thing that I asked. And I, I think anyone listening should do this when they invest a lot of money in something. I pause and I stop myself now. Anytime I'm putting money into an investment that's significant and I say, Jim, you're not that smart. What Mm. don't you know? What don't you see? Mm. What haven't you thought of? And it's weird. The brain answers the questions you ask because Mm. we get excited and we think Mm. about all the returns and all the money we're going to make. And then you start to get overconfident and you also start to get confirmation bias where you just look for all the reasons why this investment is great. Mm. But when I do that and I pause and I still go through and invest in a lot of things at that, you know, after that moment, but I, I pause and I have a different perspective and I start, and I also do it. If it's a private investment of some, some kind, I'll ask the people I'm dealing with who are pitching me, tell me how this fails Tell me if in five years we look back and say this was a complete disaster and we lost all the money. Tell me what happened. Mm. And if they say, gosh, Jim, you know, uh, I, I really can't. I can't really think of any way that can happen. 
then that's a big red flag. And I say, you need to think about it because I can think about ways your investment will fail. And if you can't see those whales, ways you haven't thought about the downside enough mm. because there's mm. always something that can fail, right? And the same yeah. thing with anything in life, like in my marriage, what would make this marriage fail after 30 amazing years? And I can, if I ask that question, I can list stuff out, you know, yeah. I ignore yeah. Mimi. We don't have quality time together. Yeah. I get so wrapped up in the business that I ignore her. I treat her with disrespect, right? I could come up with a list of stuff that if I yeah. start doing those things, I could destroy a 30 year marriage. Sure. And I think it's healthy to be aware of those things. So I go, Hey, I want to spend quality time. I need to pay attention. I need to treat her with respect. I need to do those things because I do want this marriage to last. And a lot of times in life, we're sucked into this emotional thing. where we just feel bad. And just feeling bad is okay to be there and to admit that you're there, but what action can I take? And if you take any action, you're going to feel better because that takes back a little bit of control and doesn't just feel like we're being ripped apart through our emotions around money or politics or anything else that get us stressed out. Right. I think that's a big stressor uh, in terms of um, when you feel like – I think that is – I don't want to over oversimplify once again, but I think that the the, the stress is defined by um, by lack of control. So once you start feeling like you have no control of your money, your situation, your relationship, your health, and things like that, that becomes that elevates stress, cortisol, and all kinds of things go you know go haywire. Um, um, so taking action, you know, uh, look, one of the best things is literally getting physical. Mm -hmm. uh, I, of course, exercise is medicine. We can yes. I talk about that all the time, but just from a psychological perspective, like even as like I, I go hit the bag for 10 minutes, mm -hmm. man, I feel amazing. I feel on top of the world. Meanwhile, something great didn't happen or, or one of my kids is not acting the way I want them to act and just go hit the bag. Now I'm a better father to respond to that. I can look at my money situation a little differently and things like, so it's getting out of your head and getting into your body. I think that's very effective. I love that. And, and yeah. also do something for someone else. Yeah, exactly. Do something nice or, or, you know, call someone to support someone or go visit a friend or whatever, do something for someone else or volunteer and you will get out of your own head and it will help you kind of get to a, a mental place where you can move on. You know, a quick story about my dad, which is kind of I've carried through my life that he told me, my dad almost never talked about World War II, like a lot of those oh. people from those generation. But yeah. he did tell me one story that has stuck with me that might help uh, you who are listening on this call. So my dad said he was very first, he was in the Philippines and he, he when he was first on one of the islands, the air raid sirens went off because the Japanese were bombing. My dad said he ran, jumped in the foxhole, put his helmet on, and he said his heart was beating a million miles an hour. And he was in there and his eyes started to adjust to the dock, to the darkness. And he noticed there was another soldier in the foxhole with him. And he said, this guy was a grizzled old veteran. You know, he said probably 25 years old and uh, was sitting in that foxhole. He said, my dad said, as calm as someone would sit on a park bench on a Sunday afternoon. My dad said, he, you know, he was sweating himself and his heart was beating a million miles an hour and, and finally calmed out a little. And he asked the soldier, he said, how can you sit there so calm when the Japanese are bombing? We could die. And he said, this guy looked at my dad and he said, let me tell you something, kid. On this island, you're going to do much better if you worry about what you can control. You've done everything mm. you can do. You're in the foxhole. You got your helmet on. You've done everything they've taught us. And if we get hit, there's a direct hit. We're going to die. But just worry about what you can control. Don't worry about anything else. And Lovely. that was kind of a thing about life. And my dad didn't always do that. He worried a lot. Yeah. But it, it resonated with me. And I think, man, that is such truth yeah. for all of us. Because when I find myself worrying about stuff I can't control, 
stuff that happens in Congress or or the president and stuff that happens in the Ukraine or, you know, I find myself getting stressed out about that yeah. stuff. I go, wait, time out. I can't control that. And just yeah. resetting my mind to say, what can I control? What can I do something about? Whether it's relationships with people I love or that's about being smart about, you know, getting more automatic with my investing or paying more attention to making sure I have you know, things set up properly for my family with our legal documents, whatever it might be. What can I control and what can I do? And quit worrying about the things that you can't control. Lovely. Uh, that is great. That, that is a great, uh, great, great advice. I think that and that and that there's that you could transfer that to so many uh, pretty much every element of life um, to live longer and better with age. Um, Jim, how about what do we do? So let's just say, you know, um, we, we, we make some money. Um, um, we're, we're, we're not poor, right? And we have some money. So now we're talking about middle class, whatever that really means this day and age. I'm not sure if there's a middle class, but we, we can say middle class, upper middle class, upper class in terms of wealth. What would you say are the top three things that we should be looking at with our money that then it should translate to, all right, that, that's taken care of. I know there's uncertainty, but this is the best I can do. Let me, you know, get better sleep. Let me, you know, it will translate in a favorable way to health. What, what are the three things that you find that are most important? Yeah, the first one is, as we kind of discussed earlier, know your money story and have a compelling focus. Something mm. that pulls you forward, whether it's something you're going to do, your great, great grandkids will enjoy because of you or a charity that you're going to serve or someone that you love that you're going to take care of, uh, or, or it can be time off and travel. I mean, whatever it might be that pulls you forward. I know for me, I, my mom was so instrumental in my life and so loving and caring that I always said, when I was a school teacher, I said to my wife, I said, one day I'm going to do something for my mom. Mm. And I didn't know what I was. And when I was making 20 grand a year, there was nothing I could do to help her. But many years later, when my mom was in her eighties, Mimi and I were over at her house, her townhouse. And I noticed the floors weren't clean. The toilets weren't clean. And my mom always kept an immaculate house. And it struck me, she's no longer physically able to clean her townhome. So Mimi and I talked about it. And then we sat down with my mom. We said, Mom, we will bring in a, someone to clean the, uh, the house every two weeks. We'll send someone in. And my mom cried. And my mom was not a crier. She was so moved by the gesture. And then every two weeks, she would call me and say, it's Christmas. I go, Mom, what do you mean it's Christmas? And she'd say, the cleaning people are here. That's a little thing, but having that's something nice. that's bigger than you that can pull yeah. you forward is really important. The second thing is, where are you leaking money? And that is, most people are leaking- nine ninety nine monthly thing that's coming out of your credit card that you have no idea that that's happening, that kind of stuff. Yes. Yes. The, you know, the gym membership you haven't been to for eight months or, and by the way, I encourage you to go to the gym. So that maybe is not <laughs> a good example, but you know, the subscription of the streaming thing that you haven't watched. Uh, all those kinds of things, just pay, pay attention because a lot of times people, when they make more money and get more wealth, they get promiscuous with their money, not yeah. intentionally. And yeah. then they spend money on stuff that doesn't even matter that much to them. And I, we've had friends that, you know, the, the, they're buying stuff that doesn't even move the needle. They don't even care, but they're just in this habit of spending money. And so just say, what really gets me excited and moves me in and adds to my life? You know, so if you're buying healthy, fresh foods, yeah, that costs money. Keep spending that money because that matters. But often people are spending money just mindlessly without realizing. So where are five, you five dollars Starbucks coffee a day? All that stuff adds up. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm asking because, you know, that's mindless. 
uh, and it's five dollars a day. You could do the math. That's not insignificant. Um, I not- wonder, and and how much you know, how much pleasure am I getting from this lot cafe latte every day? You know, maybe it's a five minute pleasure. Maybe it's not at all. Maybe right. And it's five dollars yeah. a day. It's not insignificant. You know, here in New York, everything costs anything costs five dollars. <laughs> like like anything, right? right? So I saw right. myself with this trend of 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 just when I looked at the um, math, I was like, oh my god, is an astronomical amount of money that I'm spending $5 here, $5 there. And how much pleasure am I really getting? And when I looked at it, I was like, not a whole lot. So you, you know, you made some adjustments. I made some adjustments. So that that's a, that's a big deal. Where are the leaks? Yeah. Where are you leaking money? Cause most people were making a lot of money. They're making enough to become seriously wealthy. It's just that they don't know where they're leaking their money and they're not intentional about where. So when we travel, one thing for us is when we are in a hotel room, we like dual sinks in the bathroom. So that's a big deal to us. So we'll pay for the upgrade to get the two sinks, whatever sure. room you need to do that. Sure. Because we're intentional and that makes a difference when we are on vacation. But then there's other it. things we cut back on that Mimi and I will look at and we'll go, why are we doing this? Is this really that great a thing for us? Let's just save the money. It's just not that big a deal. So how important you- is it for you to uh, have money conversations with your spouse? And how often should you do that? It's extremely important. And really, I think it's uncomfortable, having- Jim. It's uncomfortable. And I it's think an uncomfortable conversation. <laughs> I, I, I get it. And, and I think the best place to start is, so Mimi and I do this thing we call coffee time. And that is every weekend on Saturday and Sunday, we go to a room that we normally, most people have a room in their house they almost never use, you know, maybe when <laughs> guests come over. So we have a room that, you know, we almost never use and there's no TV in there or anything. And so we do this coffee time on Saturdays and Sundays where we go in there and we sit and we just talk. Sometimes we go on our iPads and pull up questions to ask your your spouse, right? And we just kind of, mm-hmm. and even though we've been together for 34 years and we know virtually everything about each other, we still sometimes learn stuff or I'll tell a story and Mimi will say, God, you, you've told me I thought every story about your life. I've never heard that story. And I just, oh, that's interesting. I guess it never came up or I never thought about it. And if, in, in a, what I'm saying is create a set and setting and environment where you're both relaxed, and we're, you're both comfortable because what a lot of people do when they talk about finances, it's like, hey, what's this? What's this on the credit card bill? What do you spend the money? Right? Guilty, and it's guilty. Very much- guilty as charged. Guilty <laughs> right. as charged. <laughs> and, you know, we're all adults. Nobody likes to be in that scenario on right. either side. No one likes right. to go, what the heck are you spending money on? No one doing? likes to be like, what's why this, are you challenging? charge for? Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's not the case. And especially if you're not good at talking about money with your spouse, you know, you got to carve out a time when you're both relaxed and you're chill. And I think you're just honest with each other and vulnerable and say, I know that finances are a big deal in marriages. And I don't know about you, but I feel like we could get better at talking about our finances. And I would love it if we could do that. I mean, how do you feel? And you get kind of both on, on board with the concept. And then the first thing I do is let's learn more about our history and our money story and our baggage. And then I I'd start if you're the person instigating it, I'd start like, let me just ask you about your childhood. Tell me about how was money treated in your family growing up? What is your your favorite memory about money when you were growing up? What was your worst memory around money? And how did your parents see money? How did, how did they spend it? How did they use it? How did they save it? How did they invest it? And really getting deep on those things. Uh, and you're going to find stuff about your spouse you never knew and why they act the way they do in certain situations. And then you flip the tables and kind of tell yeah. your story. That's kind of the fundamental building block because then you see the other person through their experience and you can see why, oh, hey, I know why you want to spend money on this stuff that I don't care about. 
or I can see why you get afraid when I spend money because you have that scarcity. <laughs> so one money. of those things, Jim, you're going to laugh. Um, clearly, you know, I don't have hair expenses, right? That's pretty obvious. Now, I have two daughters and a wife. So, and I see a credit card bill coming of like, you know, these things cost an astronomical amount. I had no idea. I remember when I used to get haircuts. I, I take my son to get hair because I live life by carrots, 25 bucks. You know, give the guy another $5, $10 tip, 35 bucks, we're done. It's like hundreds of dollars for one. And I'm like, what's going on here? And then you see they do their hair. And then the hair is undone in two days. <laughs> in two days. Oh, and then they can't do anything. They can't exercise because you don't want to sweat and get it all frizzy. Oh, don't get it wet. It's drizzling outside. Oh, get an umbrella. Hurry up. So it's more stressful, at least obviously my perspective, because I, right, I, there's no way I can understand. And in two days, it goes back to where it was before. In two days. I'm like, what's going on here? But I, I've learned to, A, is I'm not supposed to understand this, <laughs> you know? So, and B, this is something that is actually really meaningful for them. So that whatever amount of money, they have a moment. And my understanding is that that's, an, that's a moment at the hair salon where whatever, they talk to their hairstylist and they have fun, there's an engagement and blah, blah, blah. And it's all a community thing and so forth. So I've learned to kind of uh, just kind of, uh, you know, let that happen and not say a whole lot, though it's like, Oh my God, what is that? So, and, and you know, sometimes the, I'll, we'll have entrepreneurs that'll have their own account, their own credit card. Yeah. Um, and, and Mimi has her own credit card. I never see it because I don't want to know. And I know mm -hmm. she is not reckless with money and I know we're on the same page. Uh, but, you know, for me to, to scold her for spending too much on getting her hair done or her nails done or something like that, and then I go buy a $50,000 watch. Which, of course, the problem with that, I bought a watch a couple of years ago that's now worth double in two years. Yeah. Oh. Right. I could sell it. So then, then that's bad because then I rationalize like, oh, I should buy more watches. It's an investment. Right. No, no. What I do is an investment. What you do. <laughs> right. So I've caught myself because I know it's not an investment. I'm never going to like sell these watches or, or yeah. whatever. Uh, but, you know, I have my things, too, that someone could say that's ridiculous to, to do that. Uh, so we have our own things and our own perceptions. But for her, she wants her own credit card because she doesn't want me looking over the bill. And I never wanted that. I don't care. She sees every dollar I spend. She never gives me a hard time. But I will tell this one story. I was out with a group of my guy, guy friends. Uh, and this is, gosh, about a little over 10 years ago. And they started talking about their secret account. I said, what are you talking about? And they said, you don't have a secret account your wife doesn't know about? And I said, no. I'm like, Ugh. I said, well, why would I need that secret account? And they said, oh, I don't know. You go out with your friends. You spend a bunch of money. You don't want to see her, her to see the bills. And then she'll want to spend mm -hmm. money and she'll criticize you. And I said, ah, Mimi's good. Like she sees what I spent. I don't, I don't care. I don't want to deal with that. It's like one more thing I have to deal with, right? Well, then our 20th wedding anniversary was and I wanted to buy her jewelry. And I go to the jewelry store and I pick something out. And I don't know how to pay for it because I think, wait a second. She's going to see the charge. It's going to ruin the surprise. So yeah. I had this dilemma and luckily I knew the jeweler and they just said, just take it. We went to Bora Bora. It's just, just take it, give it to her in Bora Bora and pay for it when you get back. But then mm -hmm. after that, once it all happened, I told Mimi and she said, yeah, well, maybe you need a secret account. And then she said, but I tell you what, don't have the bill sent to the home because I'll see it. You got to send it to the to work and you've mm -hmm. got to pay the bill and you've got to set up the account. You've got to mm -hmm. manage it. And I go, oh, I don't want to do that. You know, so I still don't have a secret account, ah. but, you know. I guess my point is you, you can maneuver things as long as you're honest with each other for ways that feel comfortable to both with it. You just have to be honest, you know, and it's like, hey, I get triggered when you spend $300 on hair. That's my issue. I know you love to do it, 
right? And as long as you're sticking to a plan where people really get stressed out is when they're sacrificing their future, when they're not saving or investing anything and they're doing 300 haircuts or that, you know, the guy's spending a lot of money on, you know, going to sporting events or whatever it might be that people get excited about. And if you're spending more than you're making, that is never a situation that's going to feel good for very long. It may feel good for a little while, but it's never going to feel good. So you always want to, you know, it's the old, you know, Benjamin Franklin or any of the books you can read about, about money. It's, you know, spend less than you make. That's one of the easiest. And is that number three, you would say, is that the the third point? Number three is something I call impeccable infrastructure, which is having the right team. And so everybody is going to have, or most everybody, unless you do your own taxes, you're going to have an accountant. You're you're definitely going to have a personal lines insurance agent. If you're a business owner, you'll have a commercial insurance agent. You're going to have a banker of some kind. You're going to have probably an estate attorney because you know, you should have a, a will and probably a trust and powers of attorney and all those things. Even if you're single, you need those things to protect yourself in case you get sick mm. or injured uh, or die. Right. If you die, I guess it's not as big a deal if you're single, but still you need that stuff. Everyone needs those kinds of documents. So you're going to have a professional mm. in that space. So the first thing is having a really great team of amazing professionals will reduce your stress around money dramatically. Most mm. people feel they're, they're going it alone. Or they are professionals are on a silo, like, oh, it's in, in my responsibility to talk to the account, my responsibility to make sure the insurance is right. Make sure you have a team of A players and that you're real, you're putting pressure on them to deliver and to be held accountable and do, do a great job. And I would say that you start out either with the ostrich as the ostrich or the juggler. The ostrich says, hey, I, I don't want to deal with any of this wealth stuff. I'm just going to ignore it, take care of my family, try to make some money. And the results are always poor over time when you ignore things. And stressful. It's stressful stressful. over time. It feels good initially, stressful over time, starts affecting your sleep, starts affecting your health. Exactly. And then the the next from that is the juggler, the person who's got all the balls in the air and they're going, man, I I know I'm dropping things left and right and stressing me out. I don't know if everything is being done correctly. Uh, And you also get poor results from that type of a scenario. And then you move up to a level we call air traffic controller. And this is where you make sure you pay attention that you have excellent professionals in any areas that are helping you in tax, legal, investments, or insurance. Because you get the A players around you and that relieves a ton of stress around money. And you have people you can go to. Hey, tell me what I could do better when it comes to my money and my future and stuff like that. And then the level above that would be, and this is really for business owners because the complexity gets high, is, is a virtual family office. And that's where you have a firm actually evaluate and run the team of professionals to make sure they're, they're coming together. So that'd be the third thing is your team that surrounds you and protects you and helps you mm. making sure those are a players and that they're being held accountable. That's amazing. Um, man, this is really good. I think, you know, just to be respectful of your time, I know it's like about nine 30 perhaps by you. And I know you have to run off. And I think that, you know, we completed our hour. I try to keep it in as much as possible, but things just get really good. Jim, thank you so much for um, taking time to have this conversation. Look, I got to tell you that I learned I learned a lot. I mean, every time I speak to you, this is why maybe we should do this once a week now. Forget about once quarterly. I mean, I just I really I learned so much. Um, I think my wife will be very happy once I, after this because our conversation will be different um, as it relates to money because I know that I have baggage, man. I know mm-hmm. it from my upbringing and things that I have not resolved. No question. We all do. I have to be we honest do. with that. 
And I think that um, this conversation and many others that we've had uh, uh, is just so helpful. And I think that the people that are listening to this, um, I think they're going to get so much from it. So I really appreciate you and your time. And um, how can people find out more about you or the work you do? Yeah, well, if uh, our, our specialty is working with owner, founder, entrepreneur, business owners who are making more than a million dollars of personal income between their EBITDA or their profit in their company. And if they pay themselves a salary, that's kind of our sweet spot. And our webs our website is dowealth.com. So D-E-W. W-E-A-L-T-H.com. That's how you can learn if, if you're, you know, in that kind of scenario. And then, you know, you can look, I'm on most of all the, the social media and stuff like that. You can find me out there if you're just looking for education and knowledge. And then, of course, I have a book, which is really tailored to entrepreneurs, but it's called Beyond a Million, The Entrepreneur's Playbook for Expanding Wealth, Freedom, and Time. So if you are a business yep. owner, great I, book. That, that's, yeah, I appreciate Great that. book, you know, and it'll be in our, in our show notes. Yep. Oh, good. And one thing I just want to mention to anyone on this who's listening here is I've gotten to know Geo personally. And sometimes when you hear someone on a podcast or you see their persona and you kind of assume they're, they're a certain way, as much as you may like this man on the podcast, he's even better when you know him in person. He's so kind <laughs> and friendly Thanks, and generous to everyone. I just see him the way he interacts <laughs> with people. And this guy just, he just loves people and wants them to do better. So any advice you can get from him or any way you can ever engage with Gio, I would encourage you to do it because he's just that kind of person. Jim, you didn't you didn't give me a heads up about this, man. I, I can't do, I don't do well with these things, man. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate that. I don't even know what to say about that. Thanks so much for saying that. And really is a pleasure to know you and it's a, it's a pleasure to have you in a podcast. And I think that, look, everybody that works with you, man, everybody that works with you and your company are like thrilled and they just don't have enough great things to say about you. So I think working with you and Mimi, you go, you guys are just great people. So um, thank, thank you, you for that. Know. Thank you for the opportunity to get to know you and, and for being on the podcast. Uh, we'll be in touch. And I, I think there'll be a part two. There'll, there'll have to be a part two. I look forward to it. Thanks, you. <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Our next sponsor partner has a product I use literally every day. I'm talking about AG1. You know, I've been using green powders mixed in drinks for a long time. and It has not always been a great experience, right? The powder clumps up a little bit. It tastes horrible. But you know what? You chug it anyway because it's good for you. AG1 changed the game. In AG1, you have 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day the right way. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, and energy to help you recover and focus and help you age successfully. To make it easy, AG1 is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Dr. Geo. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash Dr. Geo to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Dr. Geo podcast. You can watch all episodes of this podcast and much more by subscribing to my YouTube channel on youtube.com forward slash Geo Espinoza ND. If you love what you heard today, you can help by leaving a five-star review of the podcast 
on Apple and Spotify, as each review helps us reach more men who are serious about improving their urological health and how to function better with age. And for the latest research and actionable takeaways in the world of men's health and integrative urology, sign up for my newsletter at drgeo.com. I'll see you next time. And now for a brief disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and we're not forming a doctor-patient relationship through this medium. The use of the information and all links associated with this podcast is at the listener's risk and is not to replace medical advice from a physician or a healthcare practitioner. Lastly, thoughts and opinions related to this podcast are my own and may not reflect the views of any institution or organization I'm associated with.